That's perfect. Yeah. <sighs> okay, so uh, I have to set the timer. I'm actually, there's still things I'm learning. Like for one, I need to break these up into sections because the last one was a two-parter because it was, it was three hours worth of talking. Oh my god. So yeah, I actually did a podcast. I actually had her delete the episodes, <laughs> but I did a podcast. What, did you say too college. much or something? Well, I like thought about it and as I was like coming into the professional world, it was super small. Like I don't think anybody was going to find it, but like yeah. the first episode um, we talked about BDSM, <laughs> polyamory. Oh shit. Feel free um, to talk like, about all sugar of that. Sugar babying, like all of that. And then an interracial dating and yeah. stuff like that. And What was this like 1950? <laughs> well like it was so funny i like when, before i because we met on twitter before i we did the podcast you decided to do an episode with me i like we came to meet at a coffee shop and i was yeah. wearing this shirt that says like check your privilege yeah and she was like why did you wear that shirt today because i had no idea what she looked like she ended up being black yeah and she's like why did you wear that shirt today i was like honestly like i because i was with my ex-fiance at the time i was like i didn't know what to wear he just picked that like that's his favorite shirt of mine and she was like is your boyfriend black i was like yeah and she was like oh okay like tell me about like interracial dating i was like well we've been together for almost five years and all of that stuff but then like we started talking about like the bdsm polyamory and sugar dating and stuff like that and she got like super into it but then her and i got along really well so we did a second episode about porn because hers was like very like yeah pop culture or whatever. These are all the things I want you to talk about. <laughs> is, I, I have no interest in hearing mundane shit. So if you reach out later and you're like, delete that episode, I'm not only not deleting it, I'm going to pay to advertise it. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, so I think you're, I don't know. I've got a few episodes. I don't know what order I'm doing them all in. Um, I'm going to assume that you're probably episode two or three. Okay. Somewhere in there. Um, cause there's other episodes I have, there's so much editing on. I don't, it's like people that, uh, when they talk, they cough a lot. <laughs> that might be, that might be me. Is that you? <laughs> so much editing. I will try to All like right. wait until, but you know, I've been a smoker for like eight years. So. All right. Well, now that we're like 10 minutes in, <laughs> why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Um, my name is Bobby. I am. What's a- your, what's your last name? I read it. Yanoviak? Yanoviak. Did I get it? Yeah, you did. Nobody ever says it right on the first try. Are you related to Dave Yanoviak? I don't even know who that is, so I'm I don't either. A while. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I can't well, believe I got it right. I read it once and was like, I'll have her say it. Yeah, Yanoviak. Well, yeah. one of my favorite things is like people get really overwhelmed by it, and I'm like, you want to know the funny part? Because it's Slovak. Well, it's like Eastern European, but I'm Slovak. And I'm like, well... Oh, so you're just loving shit right now. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I have family still, like great aunts and uncles, yeah, over there. So it's it's a little, but tense. It's a little <laughs> tense, but um, it actually means Johnson when you translate it. Does into it really? English. Yeah, I so, actually think every name translates to Johnson. Yeah, well, that's the only name that's ever actually existed. <laughs> well, like yeah, Jan. The first part is John, and then Novak means son of. So like literally son oh, of John Johnson. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of fucking cool. So. One, it makes me OG Bobby Johnson. <laughs> and then I'm like, it's really not that big of a scary of a last name, especially because it's phonetic. It so, is phonetic, yeah. yeah. <laughs> as soon as I saw it, I was like, I'm going for it. I'm going to dive in. If I get it wrong, then it's... Well, I get Yankovic a lot because of Weird Al Yankovic. And I'm like, yeah. where do you guys get that like second... Is it Yankovic? I've said Yankovic my whole life. I I, I get Yankovic. I don't, yeah. Is it Yankovic? I don't, I don't even know. know. <laughs> See, this is why I didn't want to say your name. Because I was like, it looks like Yanoviak, but I didn't want you to be like, it's actually pronounced Flusen. 
Yeah, and I'm just like, well, I'm never trying people last like names. that who's like got weird ass last names. No, there's not, but there's <laughs> assholes who love to make you feel like you got it wrong. Oh yeah, yeah. No, no every last name is what it looks like, and then there's always some dude who just stretches the shit out of an A just to like high road you. Oh yeah, I yeah, I'm very aware of like the fact that like my last when I spell it, I'm like Y A N, really long pause, O V, like Victor. Yeah, I A K. Like it, I am very gracious about the fact that like i got a weird ass last name <laughs> mine is so f- it's two goddamn words yeah and, and I know. people bomb it all the time i don't understand that doesn't make sense yeah they'll be like term buell and i'm like why are you putting like a fancy shit on it it's just two words yeah why are you putting like an accent on it you're just over complicating it it's their point. fear that i'm gonna high road them because <laughs> they want to say turnbull and then i'm gonna be like it's actually buell and i'm leaving now because of this <laughs> yeah i'm used to people slaughtering it like literally my entire life so i just have i, I mean like especially with my first name too because it's not a normal spelling of bobby yeah so, I, I noticed that too i yeah. figured that was just you being fancy is that actually how it's spelled it, no, it's just B O B B I. Well, my first name's actually Roberta, but they named me Bob. Or like they named me Roberta with the intention of calling me Bobby. Yeah. So I don't. Bobby's cooler. Yeah, it's way cooler. I feel like you know maybe when I hit my seventies, I'll go by Roberta. Like... Yeah, you, Roberta Janowiak just sounds like a, a Polish singer. Like I'm a, I found my new career. Yeah, Fuck polka. being a social worker. I'm gonna start polka dancing. Oh yeah, talk, that's so. Uh, your job though, that's the most interesting thing. I think you you've ever oh uh, yeah so so tell them what you do i am essentially a mental health first responder that's what i always tell people my dad loves to go well you know when they talk about social workers going out instead of police that's what bobby does yeah and i feel like that's such a perfect description of what i do it's topical because i know people were real bent out of shape about the way cops handle mental health so it's it's cool to hear that there's like a task force for this yeah absolutely Do do they be like a big net what do you mean? Like SpongeBob catching jellyfish? Oh, yeah. I mean, kind of. So, actually, there's... I'm, I'm waiting to start, by the way. You I didn't want to start. surprise you. Okay. Yeah, you can start. I, <laughs> I see just, you, like, yeah. hovering. I, I didn't want to just, like, stab you mid... Okay, well, we're going. Here we go. Okay, there we go. You good? Oh, yeah. That numbing cream. Dude, that A1. stuff is the shit. I'm telling you. All right. Well, you can continue. Yeah. So, actually, there are essentially four different types of teams that go out. So, we have MCOT, which is the Mobile Crisis Outreach Team which respond to only calls from our crisis line. Okay. And that's um, like the heavy shit. No, it's actually the really light stuff. Oh, why it's, did you name it so intensely? Well, just wait. Oh god, I can't, I can't wait to hear what number 4 is. De- um, death squad. No, that's essentially what they are. <laughs> oh my god. And so that is two clinicians like, you know, either qualified mental health professionals or a licensed professional. Okay. And they go out and they do a full assessment, essentially, where they assess for, like, all the common uh, mental health disorders and, you know, do all of that. Yeah. And like assess the act the person actively yeah and a lot of checklist or how do do they assess um so we work off of a set list of mental health assessments so we do are you just screaming questions at the person you know yeah it's literally that it's like when you first start you have to like get really used to so i actually just got a new partner who has never worked in the mental health field before he actually is an ex-cop okay and um so i like literally printed out all the assessments for him i was like i want you to study these questions yeah because we need to answer them for our documentation but yeah so we do a phq9 which if you've ever been to a psychiatrist you've gotten the phq9 it's like the standard depression questionnaire okay we do something called a columbia which is a suicide questionnaire where it's like hella long 
but it basically like determines the risk of like somebody actually committing suicide yeah the columbia the columbia yeah i it's there's more letters in it we just call it the columbia oh this is this is like uh where it's just a mental health assessment um and all of these have been like tested to be accurate okay um i don't know how you can verify accuracy on things like this but you know research studies statistics I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um yeah i mean this is like so the whole thing about mental health field is it's super subjective like, yeah that's kind of my subjective. where i'm at i my uh my family's got a little history of of some uh questionable mental stability and the subjectiveness was always what stuck with me yeah just, just the different diagnoses you'd get from other places and um so having like a task force out there handling subjective and essentially uh, wide stretching interpretive things is fascinating to me oh yeah and like we've had teams like go out to like mul- like the uh, consumer multiple times consumer is what we call the people that we go out the pe- the crazies yeah the crazies. consumer consumer yeah because <laughs> if we take them to a hospital then they're a patient right. but then if they go to the clinic they're a client and, yeah this like, is the most capitalistic name i've ever heard yeah so. <laughs> they're a consumer of our resources essentially uh, we also sometimes call them clients, but normally it's just consumer. Yeah. But I'm going to start like, calling you guys that. I mean, do it. Yeah. <laughs> My consumers. Um, but yeah, like we've gone out like to see somebody multiple times and it's always a different team. It's just whoever's available at that time. Yeah. And you'll have different responses. Like my client yesterday, a team diagnosed, the clinician diagnosed him with unspecified psychosis mm. and I diagnosed him with schizophrenia. And so, you know, it's just a different... Does, is it relevant that either one of you diagnose him? Like, does it change protocol? No. I mean, like, psychosis is psychosis. Like, yeah. And you gotta... I mean, that definitely can affect their long-term care. But, like, whoever gives them their long-term care, like, the psychiatrist is gonna make, like, their the, own yeah. diagnosis on top of that. And then do you guys take bets on who is closest? Yeah, pretty For much. sure. Yeah, I would. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so we do all these assessments. Um, and they go on, like the easier calls essentially and then we have MCOT rapid response which is what i'm a part of okay we respond to what we call crisis call diversion calls which are 911 calls that are diverted to crisis line or crisis call diversion which is a unit in my agency that kind of acts like the crisis line but they're taking 911 calls and their calls are much shorter okay and essentially with these crisis line and crisis call diversion calls they will like the crisis line specialist will call my supervisor and tell them what's going on and my supervisor will determine whether or not it's appropriate for us okay so based on 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 like potential risk risk okay yeah yeah yeah, like so if they're like they have a gun in their house i'm not going yeah because these are two this is texas you just never go anywhere (laughs) no exactly well it's like two unarmed mental health professionals yeah like we have no way of like everybody always asks me like what do you do to protect yourself and i was like you see my feet that's my weapon i run away yeah them bitches move like i'm not allowed to lay a hand on clients i can get sued i can lose my license yeah but um and then we have something called cert which is crisis intervention response team i think i don't don't i don't know if that's 100 percent correct 
but it's a licensed clinician and a police officer that go out. Oh, okay. Um, and those are to like the more high risk calls where it's like maybe like a gun or where they need to respond faster because they got the lights and sirens. Yeah. I just drive in a basic car. <laughs> yeah, I remember you mentioning just like a fucking Taurus. It's literally <laughs> a Ford Escape yeah. and it's like a 2012 <laughs> with like 150,000 miles on it. Like it shakes when we're going like 70 miles an hour. It is. Yeah, it is not a good Th- car. This is a government issue. It's literally government issued. Yeah, we get our funding from, we pulled money from, or the mayor pulled money from HPD and gave it to us. I think he kept most of it from the sound of your car. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so MCOT, well, we call regular MCOT because we're MCOT rapid response. Okay. We call them regular MCOT. They got brand new Nissan Rogues. They're 2021s. They have Apple CarPlay. Oh, shit. I'm just not allowed to drive it because it's different funding. They're handling the uh, premium crazies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You guys have to step up your game on your consumers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they also, so the CERT people respond to 911 calls only. Yeah. Um, and then we have something called CORE. Don't ask me what that stands for. I have no idea. But This is the death squad. This is literally the death squad. It yeah. is a police officer with a clinician on an iPad. Like, this is a oh, situation. Oh, like FaceTiming in because bullets are going to fly kind of Yeah, thing. like, it is not safe this to have. This shit is the most cyberpunk thing I've ever heard. Yeah, I love it. And, like, the <laughs> I, like the people that we've met on CORE, they're like, it's so nice. Like, yeah. I literally work from home. Like, I just, like, I get to see death in. every day. Yeah. And they literally just, like, do their assessments with the consumer in the back of a cop car, like, on an iPad. So you have the most fascinating job of, like, anyone I've heard. Yeah, and I love it. You last time you told me about it, all, all I could think is that I just want to get into politics so I can convince people to put um, cameras on these crews. I would rather see that than your average like cop. Cop, cop response to a burglary. Oh yeah, it's definitely way more fascinating. So like when you're telling me you wanted to do this, I was like trying to think of some of my more interesting stories, and then I was like, man, I have got too many Good in luck. my yeah. arsenal. <laughs> and when you literally deal with mental illness all day, then there's no such thing as a normal day, I assume. I mean, so this job has definitely desensitized me. Yeah. I'll like be texting. All those jobs will. You'll have the weirdest sense of humor from shit like that. Oh, yeah. And like, so I'll be texting somebody. I'll be like, oh, I'm going on a call or like, I just finished a call. And they'll be like, oh, how was it? I was like, oh, they're just suicidal. Yeah, just. (laughs) (laughs) Like I hospitalized him. They're just suicidal. Like he was definitely about to kill himself. And they're like, what? And I was like, well, it's better than like a psychotic person who's like screaming in my face and like I can't get to calm down. Yeah. Like at least no, he only wanted to take himself out. It was quite a relief. Yeah, exactly. I yeah, for real. Like everything you go on, you you just never know if you're dealing with like, uh, you know, full on cult crazy where everybody's got to go, or just some dude having a real bad day. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's like the big thing is. People are, like, always so concerned for my safety. I get it. I mean, yeah, yeah, I get it. And so, interestingly enough, like, oh, God, it was, like, probably two weeks ago, yeah, that we all went to a tactical training with HPD, where, because when our program started, the cops were like, y'all are going to get killed. (laughs) Like, and I was... You know, they would say that, though, because you exist literally because cops kept killing people. Well... So I'm going to be a little bit delicate about the way For I sure. say things. For sure. I can say this. Um, yeah. You can just go, nah. So I'm going to be a little... But the people know. Yeah. I'm going to be a little delicate about the way I say things. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's essentially why our program was created. And this is public knowledge, is yeah. that there were too many incidents of police officers getting called out on mental health related issues and yeah. it going south because... They have a weapon on them, and they're more likely to use it. Yeah, it's the old adage that, you know, to a hammer, everything's a nail. 
Oh my god, my coworker said that the other day. Oh yeah, it's when the most we were talking about common it. Common way to describe people that shoot things. Yeah, <laughs> and so we did this tactical training, but like it was a little bit useful in the sense where they were talking about all these safety tips of like scan the room or like <laughs> look, look around <laughs> when you knock on the door, like stand on this side so that they like can't see everything behind you and like so like opposite of the way the door opens your yeah, other yeah the, opposite I mean, of the hinges yeah so it's little stuff like that where they tell you and you're like oh it's genius and you realize it's also super simple and you're just not doing a good job at like protecting yourself normally oh absolutely well like the next call i went on after that was in a woman who was both in a manic episode and a psychotic episode i don't know the distinction psychotic is where you're like extremely delusional and you're hallucinating and okay. manic is like an extreme burst of in, uh, energy and like increased impulsivity or okay. like activities that bring pleasure so like spending money or like hypersexuality oh me in vegas yeah exactly okay. <laughs> yeah so like me in vegas but i'm hallucinating yeah that's not great yeah no it's <laughs> incredibly terrifying for the loved ones and this was like what the mom was dealing with like this is an adult child of hers and she I like just walked into the house, like up the stairs to go talk to her. And I sat like at this little stoop, like this halfway stoop that they had. Uh And she like came down partway and just started screaming at me. And at that moment, I realized that I did nothing in that situation to protect myself. Yeah, you're like deep in this person's house now. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, like it's dark. Like I can't really see. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I just went against everything those cops just told me. (laughs) Yeah, you fucked up. And my, like I mentioned, my partner is an ex-cop. I think I was telling you this before we started. Yeah. He was in the police force for 10 years in Washington, D.C. He just moved to Texas and he is definitely way more safe than me he is uh definitely gotta like stand back and he's very observant and i like will watch that from him i'm like i need to be more like that because like i'm gonna get hurt one day die dude (laughs) yeah that's uh that's probably disappointing for him to watch i'm sure oh well you you just cruise right in and he's like throwing hand signals and shit pump the brakes (laughs) he's like bobby chill well, it was really funny. So at this tactical training, they made us do two separate role-playing activities. And I told the cops this. I was like, this is very unrealistic because they have like hired actors. I was like, I don't think any of your actors have met a mentally ill person in their lives. Yeah. Um, just very overdramatic. And the first lady, it was like a scene where it was like we were in a bank and she was the only person in the bank. Apparently, the bank staff just disappeared. And um, she's screaming like the aliens took my money. And oh yeah, this is this is the most like Hollywood approach to psychosis. Oh, absolutely! And she was screaming, and so if somebody is like pretty inconsolable about their psychosis, I always just like ask them questions about their hallucinations because they're like, oh. You're interested in my reality? Oh, yeah. Let me tell you about this. Like, they are, like, immediately get calmed down. That's so. I, that's such a good approach. Because, so, like, my mom, um, when she's off her medication for too long, her reality becomes extremely subjective. Oh, absolutely. Know? But it's, it's consistent. Like, you can deal with her because it's, you know, it's not full bore, like, nuts or anything. But when I was a kid, I would come home and the house would just be trashed. And I wouldn't know why. I'd have to figure that shit out. And it would basically be, she's off her medication for a while, but 
when you try to invalidate that reality that they're going through, you just cause bigger problems. Oh, absolutely. For you to like ask about their hallucinations is probably a really safe approach. Well, and so you want to like not confirm or deny, right? You don't want to tell them that's not happening, but you also don't want to like really engage and be like, oh yeah, I see the aliens. They're right there. Okay. So right away, I'm not good for this job. (laughs) I'm going right down that path. Yeah. And so like, I was like trying to talk to her. I was like, well, tell me what the aliens are saying. Like, where are they in the room? Like, she was definitely like super freaked out. And like, this is a level that I've never even seen before. Like most people who are hallucinating are really fucking chill about it. Like my consumer yesterday, who was like, yeah, you kind of look like a snake right now. Oh, well. <laughs> but like, and she was just screaming on the top of her lungs. And she eventually, I like kind of turned to my partner who's just been quiet this entire time, mind you. Yeah, this uh, is the cop. Yeah, this is the cop. It's probably because he's like, I feel danger. Yeah. And this was the whole point was to assess like how well we're good, like how well we're doing at assessing for danger. Right. And all of a sudden she just... Oh, like untucks her shirt and pulls out a knife and like pretend stabs me yeah. it's like a toy knife it's like bright red or whatever and so like i turn i turn around so, so you got stabbed in this I scenario got, you got, are stabbed i got full-blown stabbed yeah. in this scenario <laughs> that's and, a fail well fun fact every single team got stabbed in this scenario oh, so really? i was not alone that is a fun fact yeah. <laughs> well like my thing was is well okay wait i, the, I turn around because i'm like oh i just got stabbed my partner's yeah. out of the building Oh, because he he's that. fucking smart. Yeah, he saw that I got stabbed and he just dipped. I was like, well, that's good to know, Terrell, that if we ever get into a situation where I get stabbed, you're just leaving me to continue to get stabbed. Terrell continuing his streak of no stabbings. Yeah, Terrell's like, fuck all that. I love Terrell. Ter- <laughs> Terrell is my spirit animal. Yeah, he is not with the shits. Like, Yeah, he, uh, the moment you realize that there's just a paycheck between you and getting stabbed, you're like, I don't need it. Nah, yeah. I'm definitely more of the like, okay, let me help you through this. Yeah, you're an idealist. They get stabbed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so like my thing was, it was under her shirt and they're like, she gave you cues that she was that she had a knife. Okay. Outside of lifting the shirt, what were the cues? Because I must have missed them in the story, too. She was like, I touched it. Oh, Oh, okay. She crossed her arms. Yeah. She didn't, like, just touch it with one arm, like, very obviously. She literally just crossed her arms. Yeah. Or what would look like that. And I was like, the whole point of me being a mental health first responder, a qualified, like, a licensed social worker versus a cop going out is that I don't assume the worst. Yeah, like, would they want you guys to be like Jason Bourne? I wouldn't have picked up on that shit. No, exactly. Yeah. And, like, then the next scenario is, like, this lady in her house, and she's, like, batshit screaming, like where's my son do you have my son apparently he had been taken by cps okay um that's a really tragic that probably happens often oh my gosh so i used to be a cps advocate at a domestic violence agency and are um, you are you advocate as in you worked for them is that what i worked for the domestic violence victims so in the state of texas if the cops come out to a domestic dispute Mm -hmm. and there was physical violence Mm -hmm. and the children were in the home a cps case is automatically opened up is this all the time because i don't have so I, i grew up in an abusive household and like you know cops came around that's what happened and we were always there seeing that shit but i i think i only remember talking to cps once they seem to kind of glide over it most of the time i don't know when that law was this is like 25 years ago i mean probably yeah, I, don't old, know. I don't even know how old i am 20, 27 <laughs> years ago maybe so yeah it, but yeah. also we're in we're in terrell texas and uh i'm pretty sure it's just one of those places where if you don't talk it's not happening 
Yeah. And so I've worked in the domestic violence. I was before the mental health field. I was in the domestic violence and sexual assault field for two and a half years. And I worked in a rural setting and I worked in an urban setting. And it was very, pretty different, very different. Yeah. Um, I worked in San Marcos for about a year and that's like pretty rural. Um, there's a college town. And so Mm -hmm. we worked in two counties, Hayes County, which is where the college was. Okay. And most of our clients were sexual assault victims from the university. Yeah. Young people. That's not surprising. Yeah. Um, and then we did have some domestic violence victims. Shout shout out to college kids. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I'll get into that in person. Yeah. That's fucking dark. But, um, and then we had Caldwell County, which is where all the small towns were. And it was all domestic violence victims, but like nobody wanted to talk about it yeah that's that's always how it is nobody realizes that but uh, you see so much shit in the movies where some dude like beats up his wife and then goes to jail and and then con air starts or whatever but that's like so unrealistic no the mom like they don't talk i so many times i remember seeing my mom just stonewall cops and just not say shit to them with like you know a busted lip and stuff yeah well they're like they know that the reality of him getting like actually in trouble yeah is slim to none and then they don't want the retaliation from their abuser of like you reported me to the cops now i'm gonna really beat the shit out of you yeah like he's coming back dude i my stepdad i saw that dude in and out of that house so many times he was never gone so i i mean i kind of get why she felt that way oh yeah until he was ready to be gone if the last time i saw him was when he did get arrested but it was i think it had hit a point where the house was trash. There was glass everywhere. My mom was busted up and like they pretty much knew what was up. But they they just followed his bloody footprints into a cornfield where this fat dude is just like laying shirtless. Hoping a panty. Yeah. He's maybe made it like 30 yards. He's just he cut his feet up on all the ashtrays he shattered. But oh, man. Yeah. He was the easiest dude to catch that day. Oh, I bet. Yeah. And so and then I worked in downtown Houston. Oh, that ought, that should be interesting. Well, and it was just amazing, like, how many more resources were available. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, you need therapy? Here are 10 places that you can get therapy. Oh, you need housing? Here are 10 places that you can get housing. So did you just feel, like, useless in the rural areas? Well, in Hayes and Caldwell County, um, we did have a little bit more resources. Yeah. But after I left downtown Houston, I got a job in Liberty County. I don't even know where that is. It's east of Houston. Okay. It's, um, if you go down I-10 and then you take, um, 90 East okay, yeah, yeah. for about 30 minutes, then you hit Liberty County. There is nothing Yeah, there. there's nothing going on. Yeah, I had to drive to get, like, keys for our interns. I had to drive 30 minutes to the closest Walmart from my office. Like, it's, it's way more rural than even, like, Hayes or Caldwell County was. Like, there was farmlands and all that shit. Like, I didn't know that this... I grew up in the Houston area. I had no idea that this even existed. Yeah, I've accidentally driven by there just getting lost going to Pasadena. Yeah, and it's... Yeah, it's definitely in that area. And so, one, I didn't have that many clients because nobody wanted to talk about it. Really? Nobody even wanted to reach out for help. Yeah, that sounds like... That sounds like... uh country texas behavior oh it was like so rural the town that my office was located in had like two thousand people it was tiny a little like speck on the map um and it was it was such a different culture and there were no resources we were the only agency in the entire county that provided free counseling low-cost counseling yeah uh did you just feel totally useless so useless like every single one of my domestic violence victims needed a place to stay and they needed low income housing because they've relied on their abuser for money for all of their life. 
because economic abuse is actually, I did a paper on this um, in grad school, 98% of victims, whether they also experience like, you know, either emotional abuse, mental abuse, physical abuse, whatever. Yeah. 98% of victims experience economic abuse. I never considered that. I mean, that was a huge factor just in my household growing up. Yeah, because like if you control the money, you can't do anything. Yeah, there was a point where my my mom, my stepdad, myself, my sister, and my two stepbrothers were all living off of the child support that my dad paid for just two kids. So, you know, obviously we were really broke, but my mom couldn't go anywhere. She had no job. My my stepdad was basically just, you know, insistent those checks get collected. But that, that was a huge factor in all of it was oh, I mean, yeah. she, had, she had no money. Where was she going to go? Yeah, that, and that's the whole thing is like you'll hear stories of victims like, you know, their husband will give them $20 cash to go get groceries and they'll be really smart with the way they get groceries and they'll pocket like $5 oh, that's and they'll like so save depressing. up money in like a hidden place yeah, so that they can like scrape up a little bit of money so that they can leave because a lot of times the abusers will like take, you know, complete control of the finances and the victims like don't have a way to get out and like a lot of times like they don't work under the guise of like you're going to be a stay at home mom. Yeah. And then they yeah, there's have, a like, lot of control in that situation. Yeah, they have like these years, like in the gap of the resume, so then getting a job is really hard afterwards. Yeah, it's just like the insane dynamics of domestic abuse is bonkers. You know, you and I were talking about true crime, and we were like, you know, how do people do that? And that's the same thing. It's like, how do you abuse somebody that you so like apparently love? You know, that, you know, I, that situation. Anytime I talk about that with someone, it. You can tell someone who's not come from that kind of household because they're really polar in their belief, which is essentially like there's an abuser and everyone else is a victim and there's no gray zone. There's there's no like uh, room for any sort of nuance. But the truth is there were so many instances where my mom just was not interested in a relationship that didn't have that sort of intensity. You know, she was just drawn to this like chaos and oh, dragging yeah. everyone through it. And it, it's never just that clear. And so it's, you know, people are like, why don't you just leave? Well, like, you might not realize a person in that situation might be getting more out of it than, than it looks like. Well, yeah, a lot of victims, like once you become a victim of um, domestic violence, sexual assault, child abuse, even um, any kind of abuse, you become three. I think it's my my statistics are a little rusty, so don't quote me on this, but I think it's three times more likely to be re-victimized in your life. Okay, and, and I can quote you on that? don't quote me on that <laughs> yeah I, some of my statistics are really great some of them i'm like oh well i haven't been in this field for two for a year now literally nobody's gonna google this so just say whatever you want with as much confidence <laughs> as you want things up yeah f nobody cares um but yeah they're much more likely to get abused again and then there's also the fact of like if this is all you've known that's what you think a relationship should look like that so that fucked me up for a while i i genuinely had the most skewed perspective on like marriage uh, my poor wife, I, I wouldn't even entertain the idea of marriage for so long because to me it was such a dark thing. Oh, yeah. And it really does, like, you don't conceptualize that there's such thing as, like, a happy household where chaos isn't breaking out at random. And it, it really takes a long time to undo that shit. And I, I feel terrible when I hear about someone who's in that position because you just know they're probably going to be right back in that position again. They're, oh, yeah. You know, they, they can't help it. They're just drawn to that sort of thing because it's all they know. Yeah, I'd have clients who, like, would have were like separated from their abuser and you know they've been a year into their divorce process because divorce is really messy even if it's like a fairly amicable divorce could you yeah. imagine trying to get divorced with somebody who's trying to continue to yeah. get power and they won't over sign you? shit no. no i've seen that they like literally that's the last power they have is i'm not signing that 
Yeah, and so they'll be like a year or two into their divorce proceedings, and you know they're trying to move on with their life, and they'll be like, "I have a new boyfriend." I'll be like, "Tell me about him." Yeah, and then he is He's an starting asshole. those tactics of like power and control, and you want to be like, "Hey, do you recognize any of those behaviors?" And they have to unlearn those thoughts of like that's not normal, and learn about looking out for red flags and green flags in relationships. Yeah, because I mean, you kind of sympathize with them because their approach to entering a relationship. That first part before the abuse started is, is is usually quite like romantic and you know they oh, they yeah. take it as passion that they don't can they don't connect that part with the abuse later so they never say you know if I'm in this first part again it's going to lead to the second part it's like for them they compartmentalize that yeah so most abusive relationships start with love bombing where the love person bombing love bombing yeah where the person like very quickly is like I love you. Let's get married. Oh, Let's yeah. have babies together. And it's like very abnormally like people don't normally feel this so so strongly so quickly Literally into a relationship. Literally everyone on that Love is Blind show. Yes. <laughs> yes. I like so I was talking about that show with my coworkers. No and doubt. I was like yeah. <laughs> three days in they're like I love you. And I'm like you haven't even you and I like read an article where like these pod sessions that they have are like 10 to 15 minutes long and normally like once a day. Yeah. So I'm like you've had 45 minutes of conversation with this person and you love them marriage love marriage love it's i can't tell if they have just vetted people so well on that show that they've managed to find all of these mentally unhealthy people that all have the same problem <laughs> or if there's some like soviet era uh torturous tactic with sticking people in a room and having them talk through a wall well and so like i read into the second season a little bit more because i was like this is such a wild concept i feel like me. you would have been fascinated by that show with your field Oh my god! I so I was watching the reunion with my coworker yesterday, and Shake was talking. Uh, don't tell me about the reunion, though. No. I'm I not won't. there. Yeah, I yeah. won't. And I turned to my coworker, and I was like, "I would love to do like a full blown assessment on that man." Yes, <laughs> I'm very certain he has narcissistic personality disorder. For <laughs> sure. I so I don't want to give anything away, obviously, to anyone who's listening and has that weird crossover of being a fan of the show, but. I think Shake at one point, you probably know the point I'm talking about, he demonstrates the inability to process what has actually just occurred. And that's when he's like, no, it's all good. We're all cool. You know, it's all good. But you can see the fight to avoid emotion completely. Oh, it's yeah. sociopathic almost. Yeah, he has definitely like built up this wall. Like I would yeah. love to like actually listen to kind of like his story and like his thought process. Cause like that, I, that's what I really like about the mental health field. Um, is it's just like, man, your brain, like the way that it works. And it's just like this brain chemistry of like your neuro neurotransmitters or like the way you've even been socialized. There's this huge debate in psychology of like nature versus nurture. Mm -hmm. Like how much of are these people's issues, you know, just their brain chemistry versus, you know, how they've been socialized. Environment. As people. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. It, it is. It's fascinating. And, and the fact that there's no real conclusion is unsettling because there's a kind of a history of mental illness illness in my my mom's side mm -hmm. uh my brother i mean my uncle her brother was committed and uh died i believe in result of of his psychosis um i never found out exactly what it is he had and then my mom obviously has issues too but if they ever come to the conclusion that it can be environmental and not necessarily fully genetic i'll definitely breathe a sigh of relief because every, every time i have you know <laughs> just an off day i'm like is this it is this <laughs> is, it? Is it fucking is the, are the clouds closing in and here we go i'm, I'm going into full-blown psychosis yeah it's happening well 
To give you a little peace of mind, psychosis typically presents between in males the age of 17 and 25 while your brain's finishing that formulation oh, thank process. God. You know what, though? Yeah. You described the hardest years for me. That, yeah. That was, I went through something like, I was with my wife during like 19-ish to 25. Uh-huh. Holy shit, the stuff she went through. I mean, con- like breakdowns, me having literally no grasp on what reality was. Oh, yeah. Like Kanye-level conspiracy theory shit. It was pretty bad. And yeah. I pulled my ass out of that hole with a lot of meditation and self-reflection and a healthy environment for once. Yeah, and that's like what I always tell people or like my clients is they'll be like, oh, well, the heads work, but they're not like fully taking away my symptoms. And I'm like, no, you need to. Some of it is like cognitive restructuring, which your meds cannot do for you. Yeah. You need to be more mindful and you need to go to therapy to learn. I'm a big advocate for cognitive behavioral therapy. I love cognitive behavioral, behavioral therapy. It is basically like taking the way that you think and changing it to a way that is more productive in your lifestyle. I, I couldn't agree more. That. So my mom's been on medications for my my whole life, really. And they've changed because, you know, at some point you develop tolerances or things aren't working or. Mm -hmm. uh, But I she always had such uh, a terrible trade off on side effects. I didn't want to go down that route when I was I was super depressed around 20 and uh, was starting to uh, have a hard time grasping reality. And I was starting to get sleep paralysis and night terrors which oh man that was, sounds oh, terrifying it was fucking me up so bad so i'm going i'm on like three hours of sleep every night for weeks and i'm i'm trying to figure out you know work through past traumas you know the stuff i joke about now like yeah. abuse and stuff in the household back then i hadn't even addressed it yet like didn't even look it in the eyes so all this stuff's hitting me at 20 and i'm afraid i've got whatever my mom's got so um the, i started a lot of observance meditation like an hour a day and then mm-hmm. it turned into like three hours a day i mean it was intense but it was this sound state, like this blank stage I'd go to in my mind, and I could look everything in the face. It was a safe place to like relearn mm-hmm. how to address things. But what I found interesting about it was like anything I f- that was super traumatic, it gave me an opportunity to relive it and then choose to react differently this time. Oh my god! <laughs> so there is this modality of therapy that is used strictly on trauma called EMDR. It stands for like eye movement desensitization something or other i i don't remember exactly what it stands for but it is for people who have experienced trauma and i have actually done this therapy as a client i'm okay. not i'm not licensed as a consumer therapy yeah, as a consumer I've done this. <laughs> um, and so the first step is you create a safe space yeah well, I guess, okay. So the first step is your therapist. Is go to therapy. Well, yeah, you go to therapy <laughs> and your therapist will set up this like light board. Yeah. And then you put on headphones and the light board will have this light that pings left to right. Oh, weird. And on, when it's like on the left side, you hear a ping in your left ear. Yeah. And when it's on the right side, you hear a ping in your right ear. And yeah. it like goes very slowly. It's I not think like, you ding, were just ding, getting ding, a hearing ding, test. Ding. Yeah. <laughs> <Maybe. laughs> um, and so the first part is while you're you know, having this visual and audio sensation, you're um, creating this safe space where okay. it's like, okay, this is a place where I feel safe. This is, you know, whatever. It can be yeah. like in your partner's arms. It can. I chose a beach in Puerto Rico. Nice. Um, and you have like keywords that can bring you back. So mine was Puerto Rico beach, Puerto Rico beach, Puerto yeah. Rico beach. That's so. interesting you say that because when I, in these meditations, like really deep ones, you kind of have like ego death. And where you don't even really know where you are. And for me, being at the rim of the sun, like bathed in warmth, that that was this place I always went to because it would be to my left, I'd see absolute blackness of space, just vastness, endless vastness. And to my right, 
this you know ancient glowing light or whatever it might be but it yeah. it created this feeling that i am small and something large is is running the show you know some, for some people it comes to religious but that safe space was was unintentionally built in my mind i didn't pick a beach but it was the same idea i always yeah. went, went back there yeah and that's kind of like the thing is like you know whatever you start to feel your triggers come up um because most trauma people have or people who have experienced trauma trauma people yeah people who've experienced trauma have like triggers um for me it was my apartment had burned down and so uh, i that'll would fuck you up yeah i um would like smell smoke yeah that wasn't even actually there um i would smell smoke or you know i'd see like a picture of like wildfires and you, you and know start whatever. feeling a little unsettled yeah and so whenever your triggers come up you're supposed to use your safe space or whatever but then uh, the second part is you actually confront your trauma mm-hmm. you talk about it in extreme detail yeah you go from the beginning to the end over and over over and over that and shit's over. so hard though it's very difficult and that's yeah. why you have your safe space so that if you start to disassociate or start feeling panicky or whatever your reaction to trauma is is that you can go take a break and go to your safe space and this takes a really long time to go through you know yeah we're talking years for me to even get to a point where i'm looking at this stuff yeah absolutely and it's really hard to confront your trauma especially like with like really i mean every trauma is valid but there are some things that are much more like high level trauma harder to shake for sure definitely i agree i mean yeah you can be traumatic like you can be traumatized by anything anything some of that shit will stick with you and literally shape your character oh yeah and some things like because of the way we're socialized are a lot harder to even accept like whether or not it was trauma there's always like you know for me it was like survivor's guilt because five people died in your apartment fire Uh that's yeah that's super fucking scary and um, Then then you have that thought of like wow how close was i well and my apartment didn't even burn down my apartment didn't burn down. I just woke up and the building next to mine oh, so was on fire. You're like doubly guilty now. Yeah, yeah. And like, and on top of it, I had. How dare you? Yeah, exactly. People <laughs> were like, how dare you how have a negative you. effect, a reaction to this? I was like, well, I couldn't go into my house for 10 days. I also woke up to my complex being on fire in the middle of the night. People dying has a pretty widespread energetic feel, too. The whole yeah. area around you changes. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, it'll fuck with you. Yeah, and trauma works really uniquely because, like, there are some people who, like, literally, like, left their home while it was in flames, like, in my fire, and they were fine. Like, no PTSD, Dude, no Dude, that's my, my mom's house burned down. My sister called me in the middle of the night. She's like, mom's house is on fire. So, first thing I call my mom, I'm like, hey, are you, you're cool. Everything's cool. My mom, not only was she fine, she's been fine. Like, I'm not, at first I was like, well, she's suppressing it. Now I genuinely think she just didn't give a fuck. Like she just moved on. Yeah, and some people are really like the, and it's just back. It's back to that brain chemistry and the way that we function. Well, like there's a whole science behind trauma and what happens in your brain, um, which I find really intriguing. Your brain literally shuts down, and you go to when you're experiencing trauma, and not everybody does this in what can be considered a traumatic experience. But your brain really literally shuts down. And when you go into that fight, flight, or freeze mode, mm-hmm. you're in what's called your reptilian brain. Okay. And your frontal lobe actually is no longer working. So you're not able to process those emotions. That's interesting. And that's why trauma gets stuck. And so when you get back into that, you're like reliving your trauma or you're thinking about it or you're triggered or whatever. Your, your frontal lobe hasn't processed this yet. So it's just your reptilian brain dealing uh. with this. And your reptilian brain's like focused on breathing, surviving, fighting. Yeah, fighting. When I the first time I saw my mom get beat up, my 
I, I remember distinctly, it wasn't even like a fearful decision. I remember distinctly my, my thought was I have to stab this guy. Yeah. And, and the only thing that stopped me was, um, my stepbrothers who were, that was their father. So they were very conflicted, but it was, it was one of those situations where everybody was like trying to control the situation while, yeah. while they did what they were doing. But it wasn't even a rational thought. I mean, like it was almost no. like a given that I just have to do it that. Is your, it is a natural response. Yeah. Like you, that you have no choice in whether you fight, flight or freeze yeah. in that you're not, situation. You're not thinking at all. No. And it is because your frontal lobe is literally not working. Yeah. It is shut off. Your body goes into this situation where it's like, I need to focus on staying alive. And so that, I'm going to, your central nervous system kicks in. Yeah and you just react yeah you just react that makes a lot of sense towards why most of the stuff happened when i was like six to nine and it i don't feel it had an effect on me at all until i was like 20 until you started processing yeah and then all of a sudden it was like fuck these are problems and but it was so i had a totally functional teenage like none of that was even coming up or an issue and then it just nailed me like a truck yeah and that's how trauma works is it's just it's so weird because like it's your brain it's literally just your brain reacting to things. Yeah. Um, I suggest to anybody who's ever experienced trauma to read The Body Keeps the Score. Well, it's 2022 now, so that's everybody. Yeah, literally yeah. everybody. All you little seven-year-olds who had to clean your room and you're traumatic now, <laughs> read this book. What's the book? The Body Keeps the Score. It oh, is, oh, I've heard of this. Yeah, it is. There are plenty of books about trauma, but a lot of them are filled with like jargon where if you're not in the mental yeah. health field or not like... You know, you don't have a degree in psychology or social work. You don't know a lot of the theories. It's really difficult to read. That's what happened to me when I, I had to turn to meditation because when I tried to do any like self-analysis, I didn't understand any of the shit yeah. I was reading. And the body keeps the score is very easy to read for any okay. person, whether what no matter what your background is. I'm going to check this out. Yeah, I have read that book a few times just because, it, you know, even for me who has a master's degree in this field... It's easy to read things in layman's terms because then I'm able to explain it to people in a way that makes sense to them. Oh, yeah. You you have to deal with the average person. It doesn't help if you're just like this brain full of, you know, lingo for your industry. Then yeah, it just you're no use to the person. Super you're, confusing. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to sit here and, you know, try to explain things full of jargon and be like, oh, well, here's all of this theoretical like bullshit. Yeah. You got someone losing their shit on like a soda machine. And you're like, have you tried your CDMs? He's like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. What, what are you talking about? Do you about? not see these snakes? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I always will like kind of go into, um, a lot of my clients are like, well, I don't want to take my meds. And then I'll explain to them like brain chemistry and stuff like that. Or yeah. they'll be like, well, my meds don't work. And I'm like, well, how long have you been taking them? They're like three days. And I'm like, well, what kind of meds are you on? They're like, I'm on an antidepressant. And I said, those take four to six weeks to even start affecting your brain chemistry. Do you understand the mechanism of why that is? Because I, I, there's no. so few drugs that take that long to build up in your system. That That's that's one of the most bizarre ones. It seems like brain chemistry is definitely a like a a long game yeah and there's a lot we don't know about like antidepressants and specifically it's a shot in the dark what they prescribe to you oh, that's exciting yeah it is purely so i was um my coworker, my partner terrell was talking to me yesterday after a call where we were talking about um medications and like we you know the trial and error process that unfortunately everybody has to go through when they're mm-hmm. taking um any kind of medication specifically psychoactive medication and i told him about my own personal experience because i have my own mental health issues and i said well i started taking medications at 15 it wasn't until i was 20 years old that i found something that worked for me oh damn 
Yeah. Yeah, that's I've seen my mom cycle on and off stuff that just, you know, does or does not work. And then a lot of times, you know, since this is a grand old land of America, it comes down to the finances. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So when I found so my my thing was I went at 15 because I got officially diagnosed because they really don't try to stick a label on you when you're young, I, which I don't blame them. Yeah, absolutely, because yeah. it starts following you. And I, well, that and I was like a sour little bitch at fifteen that probably could have got diagnosed with anything. The truth oh, is, I was, just, I was just a sensitive little dude who <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who chose to just be wounded by everything. Yeah, and so I got officially diagnosed and got by my therapist and got sent to a psychiatrist. And um, he originally put me on a drug called citalopram. Okay. Which because my mom was taking it, and he was like, "Well." You might know, as well try it. Yeah. Might as well try it. Genetics are. I'd go down that route too, if I'm honest. Oh, I mean, yeah. absolutely, it makes sense. And about a month after taking them, I came downstairs to my mom, and I was sobbing. I was like, I cannot stop thinking about killing myself. Oh, ideation. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was like, I cannot stop. I was, and this was a time in my life where like things were going really well, and that's how I knew something was wrong. Yeah. Was that, and that's why I eventually got diagnosed because like things were going really well. I was working hard in therapy, and I was doing really well, but I had this overwhelming feeling of depression still and i was like something's something's not right here yeah like i'm still really depressed and I'm like nothing's caused by that, my life that's fat like does that not like blow your mind though that you can take a medication and it goes away and and well like that it goes away or if you've never had suicide ideation before and now you have it have it and yeah that, that's what it t- so it's i think your brain chemistry yeah that, what fascinates me is you always think that it's like circumstantial like environmental <laughs> Siri's trying to be a part of this podcast <laughs> but it's uh it always feels uh, most people cast it away as like oh well you have to change a factor in your life and then you'll feel better and you won't want to kill yourself but the truth is there seems to be a chemical that's like a fucking self-destruct sometimes yeah, yeah. sometimes it is literally brain chemistry well like one of the um qualifiers of the dsm for most depressive disorders is suicidal ideation yeah and sometimes when you get on meds, the right meds, I should say, uh, the suicidal ideation goes away. Yeah. And a lot of times suicidal ideation is like I've had I like this one lady sticks out in my mind where um, she had just had a really rough couple of years. Her and her son, who if I'm remembering correctly, had very severe Down syndrome, was like not able to take care of himself. Yeah, that's that's a tough hand to be. Yeah, for sure. And they lost their home to Harvey and didn't have insurance. And so were homeless and they lived on the streets Fuck, man. for I think she said like two years. And finally, somebody helped them get on SSI disability. OK, because she had her own medical issues on top of that. And they were able to get into a house or an apartment. And um, the month before I met her or like the two months before I met her, the first month one of their SSI checks didn't come in. And then the next month, their food stamps didn't come in because public benefits are not always very reliable. And there are people who like have to survive on this because she couldn't work due to her medical condition. Obviously, her son couldn't take care of himself. And so they had to fund their life somehow. And she called the crisis line. She's like, I cannot afford life right now. And so I can't think of another solution other than killing myself. Like, I cannot afford to be alive. So what's the point? Some people just get handed the worst situations yeah the worst cards and like me and my partner at the time kelly and we're, we're both social workers so we're both yeah. empaths you have to respond to this that kind of call Is oh that, yeah. yeah we went out there and assessed her and we were like kelly was like at the time i wasn't licensed no kelly was like i don't know what to diagnose her with and she was like i don't think she has a mental health issue i think she just has had shit luck and like we called our boss because we always have to call our boss and like kind of let them know what our plan is. Um, 
we called her boss and we were like, this lady needs a check for $2,000 and a meditation retreat. Like, yeah. we, like, there is nothing we can do to help her. Like, no medication is going to help her. How long until you think we finally admit that being chronically broke is a mental health issue? Oh, my gosh. So, I would say, like, 98% of my consumers are struggling to survive yeah. financially. And that's why my agency exists, is we're very low cost. Like, um... My partner was telling me that one of our consumers couldn't afford his prescription. That was $7. Oh, my God. So our agency just paid for it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I would hope anybody would just go and pocket well, and that. that okay, so that was... I remember I was like going to say this point, and then I didn't. So when I, when I finally found meds that worked for me, I had saved up... I was in college at this point. I think I was in my senior year. And I saved up a bunch of money. So that I could go to a fancy psychiatrist. Oh, yeah. Some, sometimes that's a mistake. This was actually fucking out? amazing. Oh, okay. And she wasn't a psychiatrist. She was a mental health nurse practitioner, which I didn't know existed before I met her. Yeah, yeah. And she was cool. She had purple hair. She had hella tattoos. She was just sweet. Her yeah. name was Christine. And shout out to Christine. Yeah, shout out to Christine. This and podcast brought to you by Christine. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Christine. <laughs> um, and I told her, like, I had taken pretty much in every SSRI, which is like your typical antidepressant, mm -hmm. under the sun. And they either straight up didn't work, made me so sick that I couldn't function. Yeah. Or made me suicidal. Yeah, I was going to say, sometimes they'll just put you in a fog that's worse than the one you were in before. Well, like, I remember Wellbutrin. Oh, man. Remember that? <laughs> well, Butrin made me so sick that I was throwing up constantly. And at the time, I was a waitress. Is is that still on the market? Yes. There was a lot of negative press on that one. I, If I was a psychiatrist, I would never prescribe Wellbutrin. For sure, yeah. Um, because it can be abused. It is one of the only psychoactive drugs. You can get high on it? If you... Okay, do not do this. If you can crush it I up... Might, I might do this. If you can crush it up and snort it, it gives you almost the same effect as meth. No shit. Yeah. Oh it's just God, like wow. meth, but like a little bit more expensive. And here I, <laughs> here I thought I tried it all in high school. Yeah. Turns out Wellbutrin. Well, yeah, we'll have clients. I had this one client who was a recovered she's, meth she's addict. She's doing quotes. For <laughs> um, right. Who was like. Oh, I've hired a lot of recovering meth addicts and then fired them for being active meth addicts. Active meth addicts. <laughs> yeah. And he was so insistent on getting on Wellbutrin. No shit. And I was like, why Why do you want Wellbutrin? Yeah. He was like, well, it works for me. I said, you, you've you done meth, right? I saw that. Yeah. So you've been sober for a couple of months? He said, yeah. I said, any chance you snort your Wellbutrin? I like wasn't even going to sugarcoat it. I was like, you snort your Wellbutrin? He was like, of course not. Right. I went. We we ended up hospitalizing him, and I like talked to the psychiatrist. Yeah. Like, do not give that motherfucker Wellbutrin. My, like, man, yeah. <laughs> My man had a chronic sniff. Yeah. But I, I've found that meth heads are incredibly honest sometimes not not when they're in the middle of like so when they're high on meth and like strung out for days they're you know i don't even know why i'm trying to sugarcoat this like i'm gonna offend my meth head listeners but they're they're total <laughs> fucking assholes like they lie about everything they still oh, shit yeah. they're terrible but for some reason when they're just getting back into meth just experimenting it they're the most honest people i've ever met oh my gosh so a lot of my consumers are uh struggle God. with substance abuse <laughs> fucking word <laughs> <laughs> my clients I'll, yeah. I'll switch to clients a lot of my clients uh struggle with substance abuse because oh, i don't doubt the overlap is huge yeah because they're self-medicating and mm -hmm. you know people who uh have a psychosis disorder mm -hmm. a lot of the antipsychotic drugs they work your hallucinations stop but then you also stop everything you don't feel 
you you have mm-hmm. no emotions they they're like it's like being a zombie i'd rather hallucinate than be on those drugs you it, that's i think why you see so many people get on and off and on and off it's because 100 percent. you just hit these walls of being fed up with whatever state you're in well and then there's this uh disorder called tardive dyskinesia whoa yeah big word um that occurs that's from star wars <laughs> <laughs> um I've only ever had one client who actually had it, but um, it occurs after taking antipsychotics for a long period of time. Okay. And you lose control over your jaw movements. And so you've ever seen somebody like super high on stimulants where they have like swing jaw? Yeah, they're just clicking their teeth and grinding away. It's like that. And he literally like was drooling all over our car and like just like could barely even speak because, I mean, this man was like 65 years old and had been on and off antipsychotics like probably since his 20s just banging him his whole life huh yeah and like you know that's really scary because it's like okay well the drug works i'm not hallucinating but then i risk having this disorder or i risk feeling like a zombie you know and like i don't know if this is for sure the reason why we haven't figured out antipsychotics but i think it's because it's such a rare disorder if i remember correctly only 1.5 percent of the population maybe even less has a psychotic disorder there's so or I think one percent, 1.5% of people with mental health disorders have like a, a psychotic s- disorder. Yeah. I don't think, I'm trying to think of any time I've ever seen it in person. It's so rare. It's so rare. It's very, very rare. It's a big portion of my clients, but that's because it's a big portion of people who actually yeah. go into crisis. Well, yeah, you're the person that's going to be seeing it, obviously. This is this yeah. is like when cops decide that the, the entire world is shitty. And it's like, no, dude, you're just the one getting called to it all the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. The, you definitely have to like... In any helping profession, you have to, like, fight these um, symptoms of your job. Yeah. And a lot of times they lead into burnout. Um, yeah. A big one is hypervigilance. When I worked in the domestic violence and sexual assault field, I was super hypervigilant. I was convinced, like, any guy I was trying to date was going to end up abusing me. Oh, for sure. Okay. I was like... Or, like, raping I me. I thought you were putting on, like, a Batman mask and fuck... You, you mean, not vigilante. Not vigilante. <laughs> like, I am, like... Yeah. You know, I was like, oh, well, here's a red flag that could possibly lead to abuse. Or, yeah. like, you know, he's showing me affective. He's... Or affection. He's love bombing me. You know? Okay. And it's yeah. just, like, you're a just, normal You're thing. just behaving like everyone on the internet, yeah, but in just, real life. Yeah, and it's just because I was constantly, you know, for 40 hours a week, I was surrounded by this. And so it's hard not to take that home. I was telling you, like, sometimes yeah, I had to stop when's listening. When's the last time you got your ass kicked by a dude? Never. Yeah, that's right. That hypervigilance goes a long way, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, I actually have punched a dude on a date once before. Really? Yeah. We probably got it coming. I'm going to be honest. I've been a guy my whole life, and, uh, you know, I get it. Well, we, we do some things. Yeah, so I went on a double date with him and his friend and my sister, because um, this was before my, my sister's engaged so this is before she met her fiance okay. and um, yeah don't incriminate your sister right now yeah no this so is she not loves yesterday me very much. <laughs> um, and we went to a bar with these guys and we decided to go home with them okay and uh like was, sex like sex holy shit um and oh, we just lost all our 12 year old um and he had been a little flirty with my sister the entire time but i was like on our drive back I drove my sister's car with my dude and my the other dude drove his car with my sister because um, my sister and I both at the time actually drove manual. Right. Um, so, so these dudes couldn't drive manual? No. Wow. Red flag. Red flag. You're ignoring some things right away. <laughs> um, and so like on the drive back, I'm like, hey, like, you know, my sister's interested in your friend. So like, I don't understand why you feel the need to flirt with her. Um, you know, I'm interested in you. You 
he was definitely more interested in me, but I was like, hey, chill with that. Yeah. And so... Seems, we, like, fa- seems fair. Yeah, <laughs> we get to their house because they live together, and they like leave to go to the corner store to get the rubbers. Right. We were being safe. Yeah, good. Good for you. Safe sex. Goodness, uh, 12-year-olds, you guys hearing that? Yeah, wear a condom. Rubbers, bro. Um, and my sister was like, hey, just so you know, like your guy slept my ass on the way in. So, like, the guys get back. My sister and her dude go into his room, and this guy, I, like, look at him. I was like, I'm not sleeping with you. Like, you're not respectful. Like, you're just straight up rude. Like, you're you're not getting any tonight. Like, I'll just sleep on the couch. Like, whatever. I was going to say, so you're totally fine with just killing the mood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just... <laughs> oh, absolutely. I was like, I'm not going to... You don't get a reward for being a douchebag. Yeah. Like... You're going to learn your lesson. And this guy, I, I'm going to say, was like 6'5 and yeah. very, very big man. Jesus. And he's like, what do you mean? Literally corners me. And I'm pretty tall. I'm 5'10. But he's still massive. And my fight or flight got triggered. And, and you just swung was, on him? I was scared. So I punched him square in the jaw and screamed, you need to get out. And you know what this motherfucker did? He left. His own place? He left his That's own place. That's the most alpha shit I've ever heard. <laughs> he left his own place. I locked the door. I literally Did you reroute like, your mail? You're like, I fucking live here now. Yeah, I was like, this is my place now, bitch. <laughs> That's Squatter's rights. Oh, man. That's uh, good for you. That should be more common. You oh know, I've got, a, I've got a daughter. She's pretty tenacious. I hope she's swinging on dudes left and right when she's older. It was, you know, very scary, but it was also like, I love that story because I was like, I was not about to, you know, but it's like that, that hypervigilance, but yeah. like, it was a moment where I felt scared and I was like, fuck it. I'm, I, you know, but you know how many, like, there's a dark side of that story. You know how many girls are just so afraid of the implication of making well, them freeze. mad or they just follow through with something they're very not comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you being in the field you're in, you've seen what happens when you give leniency to abusive people. So, you know, fuck it, swing first. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was like, you're I'm going down with a fight, motherfucker. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and that was just like my natural response. A lot of people freeze, and yes. that's when sexual assault actually happens a lot of times when people freeze. And, and like I said, you have no control over what your reaction is at the but time. But there's that horrible guilt that they experience later when they think, "Well, I didn't do anything. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. Yeah. I didn't fight Which, back." They're not to be blamed, obviously. They're, oh, a hundred percent. You really, you know, I don't think people realize how much you, whatever your physiological response to moments like that is. It's not even a choice. It's literally it's hundred percent like not a choice. Millions of years of of genetics and, and conditioning have led to you being either a fight, flight or a freezer well and yeah. it can change on your situation really too. yeah like in the fire when my fire happened i i literally tried to leave i i got like, my first reaction was i got in the car you didn't try to punch the fire no i didn't try, <laughs> didn't try to fight the fire i literally like got in my car and tried to drive away but i couldn't yeah because the fire trucks were blocking the only way out Damn. and so like it, yeah literally it was me and all my neighbors just like sitting there watching our place burn down i think i have a tendency to freeze um because i think back on you know like anytime i was watching my mom get her ass whooped uh you would just sort of like lock up oh absolutely and and then now you know like when a hurricane's coming or or any any major event my first reaction is like well we'll just hang out i'm gonna defend my house not even that i literally (laughs) just do nothing i just observe and people are like you're so calm in the face of of like tragedy so i'm like or i'm just checking out yeah i'm just checking out i'm just not not dealing with it yeah and that's a lot of time that's why it's a very common reaction because your brain's like 
it so freeze is actually like a tertiary reaction i think it's called where like fight or flight typically happens but sometimes your brain just shuts down even further and it's like i'm gonna focus on breathing and pumping blood and that's it i'm almost certain that i come from a long lineage of like meerkats and so when you know whenever whenever a predator would would like you know show up we would just freeze just just be the tree yeah so i do that now yeah i'm like that's a fucking tornado well Tree time. Tree time. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I think it's like very much a Texan thing too to just be like, hurricane? Just watch. Yeah, just watch. That's what it is. We, we've seen every, I mean, so up in North Dallas where I live for a long time, tornadoes just ripped through constant. Like those sirens went off to the point where like you would just run to the corner store while they're blaring. You don't give a shit yeah. anymore. So yeah, now in Texas, I'm pretty, I'm pretty numb to like tragedy. Natural disasters. Yeah. I, outside, and, and, and I lived in a shitty area for a little bit. I used to, th- <laughs> there. I used to have this uh, story where I th- I can't remember. My mom clarified it for me now, but I used to think that we were in a bad neighborhood where I was being bothered by, like, ghosts and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then my mom clarified we were just living in the fucking ghetto. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> and, like gunshots and robberies and stuff like that were normal. But, but it made me realize that at this point through... We have our own coping strategies, too. Yeah, it, I think I just like make shit up in the face of tragedy where I just pretend it's not as bad as it is. Yeah, exactly. And that's a lot of like people desensitize things that they've experienced where they're like, oh, it wasn't as bad as it sounds like. You yeah, know? because that's the way we deal with it. Because it's like, oh, I lived through that. So it's not that bad. Couldn't have been. Yeah, I'm surviving. Couldn't have been yeah. that bad. Like I had this client. This is one of my favorite stories. I came back and told my boss this and she was like, what the fuck, Bobby? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you hate when you tell a story you think is funny and then somebody's just like, are you okay? <laughs> Hindsight is 2020. It was definitely not funny in the yeah. moment. It was... I was like, I'm going to tough this out. But I am talking to a client. Her boyfriend's there. And um, she lives in North Acre Homes. What is this? That is a very bad neighborhood okay. in Houston. A okay. very, very, it's probably like the worst in Houston. You know, somebody's listening from their apartment there right now. And I'm they're so like, so well, sorry if you live in North Acre Homes. They're like, I didn't fucking know that. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> um, and she lives in a house in the housing project. It's like this huge project. And we she's pretty suicidal and we ha- are giving her her options. We're like, hey, you got three options. One, we can safety plan because she wasn't so suicidal. We're like, I, I felt like we could have left her there. Right. If she wanted to. She was willing to safety plan with us. So ideation stage, but not planning. Right. So you can even have a plan and but it's your level of attention. So some people okay. can be like, I want to. And it's also the lethality of your plan. Um, <laughs> or you mean the effectiveness so yeah. if you're a shitty planner you don't need to worry too much yeah so if they're like i'm gonna take i'm gonna overdose on ibuprofen i'm like good luck with that yeah so then you're like good luck we're gonna leave that. you here it sucks that you're sad yeah i'm not gonna tell you how much ibuprofen it takes to overdose but it's so much that it's like really difficult because it's so many pills that it's like if you swallow that many pills you're very determined to kill yourself yeah um you've earned it is what you're saying yeah and so she had a plan but she was like, I don't want to kill myself. Like, I'm very scared of killing myself. I don't want to die. I just want my pain to end. And so a That's lot of the times... dark. It, yeah. And so a lot of times, like, it's just like, okay, you're just frustrated. And she was, she was another one of my clients where it was, she was having a hard time affording things. God, she had literally... That, that's like, oh my God, I beat that drum too much, but I genuinely think... It, people, people shouldn't have that problem no people don't want to admit that like there is a major flaw in capitalism and being chronically broke is a mental health problem well, like my coworkers will roll their eyes at me i have this one friend gary which um he's like a very conservative guy and um i'll be like 
this is a problem. We're living late stage capitalism. We need to start coming up with yeah. more socialist programs. Oh, like everybody's like, "Come on, Bobby, shut the fuck up." They don't like, like that. They don't, they don't like, like that at that all. At all. Yeah. I'm like, but that would solve so many of people's problems. But it, so- it, I, when you when you live somewhere where people are mostly broke around you, you you do tend to start developing a completely different belief around this like American dream of climbing your way to the top of the pile and hoarding your cash. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You realize there's there's death under you. Oh yeah, I mean it's like capitalism is not a great thing. It's you know what the, nobody argues that except for the guy who just got rich. Oh, He's the yeah. guy who's like, dude, don't fucking tear it down now. I just got here. Yeah, absolutely. Anybody who's like struggling and is like a victim of capitalism is like, please, like, yeah, put me out of my suffering, dude. It, like <clears throat> I, I re- you know, like I said, I was a whiny bitch when I was younger, but just having dealing with all your like being human problems, and then all of a sudden you have all these financial things. There were times that like I get a verizon bill in the mail and my first thought is like no, i'm just gonna kill myself yeah absolutely it's gonna, like, like pull the ripcord i'm done well it's like you know i think as a kid a lot of times when you don't have to worry about that you don't realize how expensive it is just to survive and it's yeah. gotten like the more advanced as a um that populations hurt. that no so, okay so the single needle so usually people complain nah y'all tattoo tips with bobby Dr. Numb. Thanks, Tyler. For I told this. you, Dr. Numb. Yeah. Two hours before your appointment, wrap it in saran wrap. This is like... You're honest. golden. Yeah, it is amazing because I am not afraid to admit I'm a little bitch when it comes to getting tattooed. I am so whiny about it. And There's a there's a type of client that is like... They, their entire identity is built around the fact they're like, I'm a, I'm a fucking hard ass, but they get they get the worst tattoos i don't even tattoo people like that i I do have some sociopaths that i tattooed of it like i don't think the pain receptors work there's <laughs> there's one dude in specific if he ever hears this he knows exactly who he is but he he just fell asleep on me on a rib tattoo once oh my god and i was like there's something fucking wrong with you there's dude. something wrong with you yeah he's a beast well but, that's like my mom my mom has like she has some prison style tattoos because her uh boyfriend that she had before my dad was like an ex-convict, ex-convict, literally tattooed her with like a hair dryer, like motor. Or Those whatever. dudes will never buy a real machine. Yeah, and if you're like, I want a tattoo, they're like, give me a clock radio. Yeah, <laughs> she has like a full piece, and she was like, it took her like so long because the motor was so shitty. Blah blah. blah. Mm-hmm. She's like, I feel this. It doesn't hurt though when you get tattooed like that. The single, okay. this, the tiny single needle stuff that's running at like literally five volts it, it, it's such a gentle process. Well, like I've seen my mom get tattooed. She has a tattoo on her the inside of her bicep. Mm-hmm and like she literally was like kind of like dozing Not off. off okay yeah that spot hurts there's no denying that yeah she was like i i told you our last session she has the mentality of like the pain's gonna go away once once i get yeah. done she's like it's not gonna be there anymore that's so a, i just that's a uniquely female approach to tattoos by the way yeah like, i i'm not like that i'm like fuck this hurts it's, it hurts now and i'm tired yeah. of it <laughs> stop that's me too you start <laughs> it and i'm like mm, no no that's the first off the design's not even as cool as i thought it was anymore like now that it hurts fuck this whole thing yeah fuck this mess but i'm definitely more so like i'm gonna power through it because i want the pretty art on my body see that's still a uniquely female thing like male clients handle the first hour really well because they're built for like uh pain tolerance but But not stamina yeah you guys have pain endurance and that's a whole different ballpark like because our bodies are amazing we're built to create and push out literal human yeah like actual footballs that cry yeah (laughs) and so the tattoo process for you only gets better as you go almost all of my female clients will complain right away up front and then three hours in they're over it they'll just like they just cruise yeah but it's the exact opposite for dudes yeah the longer you tattoo a dude the more he just becomes like a nine-year-old boy he's like please yeah i want to go home 
Well, like my best friend and I were talking because she has this artist. I was like telling my mom this because my mom was like, my mom's very used to like the old style of tattoos. And we're like, they used to be really cheap and like, you know, whatever. And bad. Yeah. And so I was like, she's considering getting work done by you. And your mom is. Yeah. And I was telling her your prices. She's like, I just $200 an hour is really expensive. I was like, not I can, really. I can make it more. I was like, when you consider <laughs> the like high level of art that he's, I was like, I literally have a picture of a squirrel on my arm. Yeah. Like it literally looks like a photograph. I was like, most artists, like my best friend has an artist in Austin who produces that high level work. Her, she just got a same size tattoo as my squirrel. Thousand dollars. Oh, wow. Thousand dollars. I got my squirrel for 400 plus tip. Yeah. Like, I, I was work, like, I work fast as shit though. That, yeah, that hourly slow. thing is, yeah, yeah that's usually slow. what it is. Because they'll they'll charge one fifty an hour, and you're like, oh, he's cheaper. Eh, wait till you sit there for six hours. It's it's dead. It's up real quick. Well, yeah, she's there for like ten hours because he draws once she gets there. So like, oh, that's dude. That is he doesn't old... charge for that. Okay, I was yeah. gonna say I used to work with a dude who like he wouldn't do shit for your appointment till you showed up, and there'd be three hours before you even got in his chair. Yeah, so she'll like shoot the shit with him. Like, you know, she all of her tattoos have been done by him. So she's known him for years and she yeah. has multiple pieces from him. So they'll shoot the shit, whatever. Okay, that's fine. And then. like talk or whatever. And she sits for about six hours, which I'm like, I could never. But, uh, you know, it, I I really don't think six hours is a sustainable method. But some people, the way they tattoo, it, it's not terrible. Like if they're slow enough and they hang out on a spot, you, you can make it. Okay, yeah, I, she just, is she starting her sleep, but she's doing yeah. bottom up, the opposite of yeah. me. And, um... Because, like, I kind of hammer on you. I'm quick, but, like, we're we're hitting the whole thing pretty oh, fast. Oh, yeah. I think six hours of that would definitely wear you down. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I, by the time I hit, like, two and a half hours, I'm, like, I'm ready to be done. But I'm also not good at just, like, sitting and being stagnant. Yeah, I get that. Like, I was giving somebody advice for the licensure test that I just took. And you get four hours to take the exam. And I said, I finished in an hour and a half. It's 140 questions. Dude, I failed miserably, but I was done so fast. <laughs> well, she was like an hour and a half. I said, yeah, I just couldn't stand taking that test for so long. Yeah, I get that. I, I'm, I, I can't even do a car ride. Points. Oh, hell yeah. I, I passed really high. Like most people only pass by a few points. I, I got it. But I was like, I was just so done. I didn't want to sit there and look at that screen for four hours. No, I couldn't do it. So I... I'm impatient. I can't road trip. I can't... Uh, like a flight's more than two hours. I can't do it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I have a three hour... I'm driving to Austin to actually see my best friend after this. I can handle that. And that's probably the extent before it's I get miserable. true crime. Well, I got a lot better. Yeah, right? <laughs> Murder mysteries will get you through it. Well, when I started working in Dayton and I live in Katy. Dayton, Ohio? <laughs> yeah. I drove yeah. all the way to Dayton every day. It seems far. Uh, Dayton, Texas, which is out in Liberty County, like I was telling oh, you. Oh, yeah. Nowhereville. Yeah, my commute without traffic was an hour and a half because it was 65 miles each way. Every day? Every day. And like, so my morning commute, because there was no traffic, was like an hour and 10 minutes. But my ride home would be at least an hour and a half, if not two hours. And then if one time the freeway got shut down because there was a fatality in a crash, it took me like three and a half hours to get home. You know, this is going to really highlight how terrible of a person I am. If I sit in traffic for an hour and a half and I get up there and someone didn't die, I got a problem. Oh my gosh. So my, I had, I went on a trip to New York by myself and I had the worst travel experience, I'm pretty sure, in human history. Really? Yeah. You know, the Jews got stuck in a desert okay, for like 40 well, years. <laughs> in modern history. <laughs> I recant. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so I was flying out of LaGuardia 
my plane gets delayed by i think like an hour or two so i like at this time i smoke cigarettes so i like step outside like laguardia sucks too it is a miserable absolute ass yeah and so i like walked outside like went and smoked a cigarette and like came back through tsa i come back it's like been an hour and a half Somebody from my plane's like, "Hey, you going to Houston?" I was like, "Yeah." She goes, "It just got delayed she's for like, another." No, you're not. She's like, "It just got delayed for another, I don't know, a couple of hours." I'm like, "Fuck." Oh. So I like ghosted at a bar, and uh, I'm like going to go eat and like have a drink or two. But I, I just went up, went to New York, and I'm balled out. So I was like pretty broke at this point. I was like, I was not planning for this. So you're thinking about suicide? Yeah, I was thinking about suicide. <laughs> um, luckily, this man next to me um, was reading the same book as me. Spoiled it. Oh, and- fuck that guy. <laughs> is a true or it was a crime book it wasn't true he just straight up told you who did it or what no he was he hadn't gotten to the end but like he ruined like a big thing and i was like i'm not there yet he was like oh my god i'm so sorry but we like just started talking and i was like yeah like because he was like are you you know what are what are you would you go to new york for and i was like well i just started grad school i just started a new job as you know a sexual assault advocate i just got my bachelor's a few months ago whatever and he's like oh what are you studying i was like i'm a social worker and that to people who don't know social work well even to people who do know social work that it automatically reads is i'm poor and especially because <laughs> i was in school yeah i won't lie <laughs> i've gotten discounts i got discount yeah. on my glasses Thank because you for i was service. like i can't afford these frames i'm gonna have to go to like you know one of those websites because i was like your glasses are astronomical and she was like well, what's going on? I was like, I'm a social worker. I don't, I don't make that yeah. much money. You know, if you if you zoom out and look at that in, in like a uh, macrocosm, it's essentially you're in America saying you care about people, so you got to be broke. I, yeah, I got to be broke. Yeah. Exactly. Like teachers, like any. Yeah, like you're all broke. Those, yeah, you're all you like people in this country. You get to fucking starve. You're useless. Yeah, you're a piece of shit. Yeah, and so um, he bought my dinner, and he was like, "You can you can have another drink after this." And I was like, "That was sweet of him." Yeah, it was very sweet of him. I was like, "Thank you." But then my plane got delayed another three hours. Holy shit! Yeah, it ended up being a ten hour delay. Oh, dude, there is nothing more maddening than an airport. I know, because I w- they and they did it in small increments too. Like if they've been like immediately, it's going to be a ten hour delay. I yeah, probably yeah. would have like flown, like driven back to the city and like done something. I don't understand how that happens either. Like, how do you? Where do these ten hour delays come from? They didn't even explain it, so I don't even no, know. You'll never know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Well, and then after this ten hour delay, we get on the plane. I just always feel and like- then they have to fucking de-ice it because it started snowing. Oh shit! That takes forever. Yeah, yeah, so we were on the plane for another hour before we even take off. Oh my god, that's frustrating. So I land in Houston. Mind you, I'm living in San Marcos at the time, which is two hours from Katy where I live, three hours from inside Houston. And I land in Houston. I have to Uber back to my parents' house. It's like four in the morning. I got work at 9 a.m. the next day. No, you don't. No, I did <laughs> I'm not. not. Yeah, I'm not going. So I like sit there and think. I'm like, am I going to make this drive, like this two-hour drive? and sleep for a few hours and then go to work or am i gonna sleep for a few hours and then make this drive and then go straight to work and i decide that i'm like way too tired yeah no hell to no. drive and so i i sleep for like hour and a half two hours and i get on the road at like six in the morning dude that that kind of airplane shit drives me crazy i've, oh I've had the delays before i think it was when i went to i did a convention in la and uh it's like a, called ink and iron but my my plane got delayed a bunch and same thing no explanation and it just keeps getting moved back in hour back. increments and 
like you said, if they told me up front, I could have gone and done something. I was just convinced that I was going to like run out to Wendy's and see the fucking plane in the drive-thru or something. Oh, absolutely. Dude, what takes it that long? How are you so far behind? There's probably some like air traffic controller losing his shit right now who's like, you don't understand the job, but I'm, I just feel like it's some pilot who's gaslighting everyone. He's like, I'm literally on my way. And he's like, still in bed. Yeah, exactly. Well, and so I get on the road at six in the morning. I'm like, this is gonna be smooth. I'm gonna be able to drive real fast. I'm gonna get there fast. I get maybe like 15 minutes down I-10 and all of a sudden I hit like traffic. I'm like, what the fuck? It's six in the morning. That's that death traffic. And yeah, it was, Somebody, death. It, was dead. it was a cop who was off duty, drove the wrong way down I-10 and got into a head-on collision with somebody Ooh. and died. And so they shut the entire freeway down. And this is in the boonies. I, so, I have no jokes for this situation. <laughs> <laughs> and so I call my dad just sobbing at this point. I'm tired. I've been traveling for like 24 hours at this point. I'm just trying to get home. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know where I am. It just happened. So they like don't have like those detour signs. I keep getting turned around. My, my maps is telling me to get back to the interstate but the interstate shut down i don't know how to get to my job and so i'm like my dad at this time had like had like my find my location mm-hmm. and he pulled up a map on google and directed me back to like the open part of the interstate like Dude, came to my rescue you're so lucky we live in an era of tech right i don't know what i would have done otherwise because you're how old are you you're mid 24 yeah okay yeah so I, i'm just at that age where like sometimes you had to print off your map quest directions i remember that when i was young like, yeah. we moved to texas from colorado so we would drive back to see our family and i remember that like at the very beginning stages we would like print the map quest directions mm-hmm. and then if like we took a wrong turn it was like all chaos ensued yeah so I definitely remember like a little bit of that, but like I didn't experience that personally where I was driving. I it, was just a passenger who didn't it was, know what was going on. It was an era where like, I don't think I even had a cell phone. So it's not like you could call anyone and complain. So when you were in that kind of traffic, you just, your first thought was like, well, I hope it's not like the end of the world. Yeah. Because I'm going to find out probably last. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now it's... Can't even look it up like what's no, going on. Now you can know instantly because the person who like died up front tweeted right before they died and well, you're like oh yeah. it was that guy my dad my dad was the one who told me he was like yeah it was a cop like it's been shut down for a couple of hours because it's a cop so they're taking like, oh, yeah. extra precautions i was like fuck her for driving around. i don't care if she's dead open the interstate like i was you like, lose all humanity for sure <laughs> yeah, i definitely I lost you. every second of humanity because i was like i just want to get home i called my boss sobbing and i was like i can't come in i'm just so tired yeah. of traveling she's like just go home get some sleep it's fine don't, like, don't feel bad i because I'm, I'm not a good person like 15 minutes in traffic and if i drive by and it's a fender bender i'll like lean out my window and be like why are you not dead well so i get really annoyed when i'm in traffic because houston drivers are just absolute ass yeah and, like, that's me i'm not it's great somebody who's like in a fender bender like you said or mm-hmm. you know they could have driven off the they interstate. don't move their car <laughs> and in texas it's state law that you have to, if you can drive off and go to a different location yeah. you have to do that nobody fucking does that they literally get out and take pictures of their bent license plate and hold the entire state up for an hour exactly and i'm like if you didn't pop a tire where you can't move or like you know your smokes your smokes coming out of your car or whatever like fine not even out. that push it like basically <laughs> push it, it off of i10 it's like, dead or nothing for me yeah. like you either died and there's traffic or you didn't and there's no traffic no traffic yeah i just i was like i get so annoyed with traffic and that's why i love my current job because i drive on side streets now yeah me too it's i set the studio up here in um i don't want to give out the address uh tanzania 
<laughs> so so that my commute was short. Yeah, I mean, my commute's about maybe 45 minutes, but I can take the toll and be there in 25 minutes, but I have a solid rule of if it doesn't save me 30 minutes, I'm not paying. Fuck that, yeah. And not so, even a dollar. Yeah, and so, um, especially because that shit adds up, and like I said, I'm a social worker, I'm poor. Um... Uh, <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> You're not, though, are you? <laughs> uh, not anymore. My uh, Oh, yeah. You told me you got yeah, a raise. Yeah. My agency actually pays very well. That's... I went from the nonprofit world to a not-for-profit world. Oh. And because there is a difference. I don't understand it, but I love when shit is confusingly distinctly different. Yeah. And That's, I was that, like... What is that? The uh, assistant manager and assistant to the manager. The manager. Exactly. Nobody knows what the fuck the difference is. But, but there is a one. difference. And I loved it so much like i don't think i'm ever going back to the nonprofit world i definitely like and i don't there's you're, really you're not, not going to explain this difference to me are you okay so a, non- <laughs> <laughs> a non-profit is typically solely government funded where whether it's like through grants or okay. like like in the domestic domestic violence world there are laws that like give money to those agencies that like take state like taxpayer dollars and then there's like private grants too okay that you could apply for um and they get like all sorts of these tax breaks and stuff like that for being a non-profit and it's like either through these grants that they get funding or um like people donating money and a not-for-profit and oh and a non-profit does not charge for their services oh ever that okay a not-for-profit still charges for services. They still might get some government funding, but they also get funding from all these different areas. Okay. And they also do charge for their services. Like, yeah. my our clients, um, it's based off of um, their yearly income, like what they pay. Oh, that's kind. Yeah. Yeah. And then they also get, like, all sorts of these, like, breaks if they're, like, on SSI and all sorts of shit. So <laughs> we make it really affordable. how crazy you are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so... Like, we always joke, like, we hand out our meds for free. Yeah, I strive to be the kind of crazy where I don't pay for shit. Yeah. (laughs) I'm so unwell that I can't function anymore. I can't afford this goddamn car. Give it to me for free. You see how fucking unhinged I am? Give me the car. Um, And it's great. So I got there and I started, like, setting up. I got a work computer and a work cell phone that weren't like operating oh. on like windows 98 this it was fancy. fantastic yeah and then like i was having a problem with my computer and there i was like trying to figure it out and they're like and they fixed it no i was trying to figure it out by myself yeah that's what i was used to doing i was used to fighting for my life on google as a social worker who knows nothing <laughs> about computers trying yeah. to fix shit and somebody was like why don't you call id it and i was like we have an it department they fixed stuff and they literally he like remotely logged in my computer and like fixed the problem in like two minutes i was like whoa you know this is blowing your mind but my only takeaway is that government work is so fucking out of the loop that like having basic company structures is fascinating i know right like there's a man that repairs broken things at our work like yeah i think that's at every job (laughs) yeah exactly exactly well and i will give a little bit of a or a little bit of a benefit to uh nonprofits where like most of them have like 40 people so having one yeah. IT guy, you know, to do that is a little, you know, we're not going to pay somebody a whole salary just to occasionally fix computers. Yeah, no, I mean, I get that. You're, you're fucked. But um, yeah, I was just like so amazed and like they paid me really well just off the start at my non-licensed position. And then when I got to my licensed position, my price went up and I got a very, very hefty raise. And then... What are we talking? I want cold hard numbers. Give away your entire fi- financial I got, history. When I got my license, I got a $12,000 raise. That's pretty good. 
And then... Now, this is per year or per day? Per year. <laughs> okay. Unfortunately. Less impressed. I was making $12,000 <laughs> a day. Um, I would know, and I'd be charging you differently. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler's like, I'm going to exploit you. For yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. That's what I do. So you said my hourly on here, but a bunch of my other clients were like, well, he's doing 800 with me. So I'm <laughs> oh, going to have to tone to that. He's going to have to edit that out. Yeah. There. That's not going to stay. Um, and so, and then, oh God, it was like two weeks ago, our uh, CEO sent out an email. He said, we did some market research and we figured out that we are un- underpaying you guys, which is not true. Are you fucking serious though? It's not true though. Like we are getting paid very well yeah. based on market research. So he and just he, was, he felt funny just giving you extra money. He had to like make up a whole research thing. Yeah, exactly. And so he was like, "You guys will like we're doing two levels of this. Like these positions are getting it on February, and then these other positions are getting it in March. But don't worry, we're back paying you, pretending that it started January first. Dude, this is a great place you work at. Fantastic. And Let's I got, say their name. The Harris Center for Mental Health and IDD. Yeah. Shit, dude. They're amazing. That sounds incredible. And I got an almost $14,000 raise. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, I was like, holy shit. I literally let out an audible, oh my fucking shit, when I got the email of how much my raise was. What's crazy is it's like unprovoked. That doesn't happen anymore, by the way. You have to fight for money now. No. Like, it literally... So in the helping profession, a lot of the times when you try to negotiate salaries, they're like, I'm sorry. This is literally what we have. This is the max amount that we we have budgeted for this position. Like, we will go bankrupt if you ask for more money. That's everywhere. Yeah. I I worked at uh, JCPenney Corp in the uh, advertising, I guess, wing of their, their structure. And when in 2008, when the stock market took a, an absolute shit on itself, pennies was frothing at the mouth to turn down raises now. They're like, well, they've been looking for an excuse all the time, right? Oh, but, absolutely. But now they're like, did you not see the stock market? We can't give you we any have money. A reason. And it was the same thing, though. We were like, well, why not? And they're like, literally, the CEO will fucking die. <laughs> You're like, the I'm CEO at- who's making $700,000 yeah. a year. It, and that's oh, like on the low end. It's not even close. Yeah, it's <laughs> way more. But like, it was just such a guilt trip. You walked in and you'd be like, I'm having a really hard time feeding my family. Can I have maybe like 10 extra dollars a day? And they're like, just the fact that you asked me this, I'm, I have to I'm go get checked for cancer. I'm, yeah, I'm taking money actually away from you. Yeah, you now get ten dollars <laughs> less. But they pulled that shit with everyone there, and they, like you'd hear people repeat that rhetoric though. They'd walk around and be like, "Did you hear? We're like functionally insolvent. We're also lucky to have our jobs." And I'm like, "You're all getting fucking lied to." Yeah, they just laid off thirty percent of people. They're making like they didn't stop selling clothes. Their stock went down. You know, but like that's literally just used as an incentive for some clients. I mean, uh, I, some customers. Some people are probably gonna get really mad at me, but I'm like oh, very convinced that like the stock market's just like this made up thing. But like, I've oh that like you're talking like, to the right guy. I've that, been like, trading for like, like ten years. Why? Why does like I just don't understand like why this like fancy stock market? Like I I yeah. get the money like the aspect of like people invest money and it's like how much the company's worth. Or oh whatever. yeah, no, but, like, you get the lie told to you. I I just like think it's like this made up thing that like makes us like continue to be this like dystopian capitalist society like I okay just... <laughs> so you're you're not i mean like you're obviously hyperbolizing it but so the stock market it, there's so many fascinating angles of absolute bullshit to it but um you've had these unprecedented oh you know what is that my hit, alarm yeah do we hit time <laughs> yeah yeah so i have a timer so that this shit doesn't run too long so uh once again we're gonna have a two-parter Ooh, hell uh, yeah. tune in on the second one to see if bobby is still alive and I'm actually going to kill over can you, right now. Yeah. Can you hit the button on that? 